book of Romans this afternoon in chapter 5. The book of Romans in chapter 5, we've been studying on the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, last week we hit peace, which makes us uh, to have covered uh, love and joy and peace. And the next one is, is one that no doubt we all struggle with to some point. Uh, some of you may have it absolutely, completely and totally down pat. Uh, I thought I had a much greater hold on it up until the last couple of weeks. I realized that, that long-suffering is not one of my greatest strengths anymore. I considered myself to be a very patient person. I thought that I dwelt, dealt with school kids really well. I don't fly off the handle very easily. I don't lose my temper. Uh, but I do allow myself, when I have long hair, to grab it and to pull on it. That's why I got my hair cut. This I can't do that too. So it's a little bit safer. And, and long-suffering is something that, that if you hadn't struggled with it yet, maybe you just don't realize it. Ask somebody how patient of a person you are. Long-suffering and patience goes right along with each other. I'm going to use those words interchangeably. They are not uh, the exact same thing. Uh, long-suffering, uh, the meaning of it in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, is to show patience when in trouble. Uh, whereas patience is simply being able to, uh, I'm going to do what I tell my kids never to do. I'm going to use the, the word in the definition. To have patience is to be patient. Uh, but to, to, to be long-suffering is to show patience during trouble, especially whenever that trouble is caused by people. And the Old Testament is two uh, Hebrew words combined, and that's what it means. To show patience in trouble whenever people causes that trouble. So tonight we're going to look at two aspects of long-suffering. We're going to look at God's long-suffering toward us, and then we're going to look at, uh, at the way we are called to be long-suffering with other people. We're going to begin in Romans chapter 5, verse number 1. The book of Romans in chapter 5, verse number 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access to faith in this, into this grace, wherein we stand. And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And those two verses covers everything that we covered the last three weeks. It tells us why. Verse number three, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Knowing that in tribulation, excuse me, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we have together tonight, God, that we can look and study your word. God, help us so we can allow ourselves to be led into you. God, help us so we can be fully submitted into you each and, and every day. God, that we can be a greater a witness in our community. God, that we can be used of you in a greater way. God, help us so we could examine the patience we have within ourselves. God, that we could... God, we could grow more patient. God, we could have the, the Christian attitude that you call us to. God, thank you for your long suffering toward us, God, that you were patient with us, that you didn't, that you didn't give up on us. God, thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, that through him we could have that hope. God, through him we could have that, that joy, that eternal life. God, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. This verse, the uh, first couple of verses here, the book of Romans is something that is uh, very special. It is written chronologically to the to the for the most part uh paul begins by telling everybody that they are a sinner and then they tell him he tells them about the plan of salvation and then at the end of romans he tells them what we're supposed to be after a christian and so here we find that paul is telling them about being justified by faith 
Uh, being justified by faith, we have peace of God, uh, peace with God. And because of this, he said we are to joy, excuse me, we are to glory in tribulations. We are, we glory in tribulations. He said because of this, not only so, he said because of this, because we are justified by faith, because we have peace with our God through our Lord Jesus Christ, we know when... We know that the Bible says that all things work together for good. We know that. We are 100% assured of that. It don't say that they are all good, but that they work together for good. And so whenever we stump our toe, the Bible says being thankful in all things. When we stump our toe, we'll be thankful. At some point in time, that's got to work together for good. Maybe it's just so we don't do it again. Maybe it's God is testing our resolve, our, our reflexes, our reaction. Has anybody ever had your plans messed up just a little bit? And you had to be patient and figure those things out. I was reading a, a probably three weeks ago. I was reading a, a book full of quotes, and one really jumped out at me. Mike Tyson, a boxer or fighter or something, he said one time, "Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth." It's true. Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth, and then that that plan is gone. It's like teaching. When you walk, into the, you walk into the classroom ready to teach well, and then they say, yes, this is life science. Everybody has a plan until they're punched in the mouth. But at that point in time, the colors show, show through. At that point in time, it shows exactly how much patience you have. Whenever the baby wakes up screaming at 4 a.m., it shows you how much patience you have. Whenever someone tests you in public and people are watching, it shows you how much patience you have. Whenever God tests you in private and nobody's there, it shows you how much patience you have. Things that, that come our way in trials and tribulations don't come our way because we've always done something bad. Things don't always come our way because God is, is trying to punish us. If we pray to be more patient, God is not going to... Patience. Use that example all the time. It's from the movie Evan Almighty. That is the greatest takeaway I have from that movie because there's so much wrong with it. But Morgan Freeman said that if God wants you, if you pray for patience, God is not going to give you patience. He's going to give you an opportunity to be patient. And those are the things that we glory in. Those are the things that we're supposed to look at and say, God, thank you for the opportunity to be patient. Help me that I can take advantage of it. Instead of absolutely, totally and completely getting hit in the mouth and losing sight of our plan. Losing sight of God's plan for our life. Losing sight of the... Losing sight of the fruit of the Spirit. Because whenever we get hit in the mouth, we're still supposed to love everybody else. Whenever our plans change, whenever things get shuffled around just a little bit, we're still supposed to have joy. I'm going to read this verse one more time. He said, verse number three, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Do you think Job was as close to God in the beginning as he was at the end of the book of Job. Now, I know he's a very extreme example to use, and people use him all the time, but whenever, whenever Satan came to God, he said, you have a hedge of protection around Job. He said, I can't touch him. At that point, it's not that Job was, was far away from God. He was so close to God that God was taking care of him, and Job knew it. And so throughout the, the tribulations that Job had, 
everything that he lost, he didn't, he didn't charge God for it. He didn't say, God, what have I done? He didn't curse God to die whenever his wife said, you've lost everything. Why hold on? Job said, naked came I into this world, and naked shall I leave. Job praised God through tribulation. And at the end of it, I dare say that Job was closer to God than he ever was before in his life. After Jonah got in all kind of trouble for going down to Tarsus instead of Nineveh, and then he got in trouble for, for sitting under the tree and wishing Nineveh wouldn't have repented, do you think after everything Jonah went through that he was just a little bit closer to God? Do you think after Peter sat there and squalled after the cock crew three times, do you think he was a little bit closer to God after that? I think that it took Peter a little bit of patience to get through that. I think that it took Daniel a little bit of patience to get through the night in the lion's den. I think it took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a lot of patience to get to the point to take a stand up against King Nebuchadnezzar. A lot of times we'll take, uh, we'll take trials and troubles and we'll take stresses on our life and, and we'll try to fix it ourselves or we'll try to figure out what we did. And the ultimate question that, that so many people ask, and I found myself asking it before, is why would God let bad things happen to good people? I've asked myself that a lot. Why would a good God, a just God, a merciful God, allow bad things to happen to good people? And it was probably it was probably four or five years ago, right after Papa got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, was sitting on his front porch, his favorite place in the world to be, and sitting in them two rocking chairs right there, and I asked him, I said, why does God let bad things happen to good people? And he came to this verse, and he said, because tribulation worketh patience. He said because in, in one of his favorite verses, just like Daddy's, was that all things work together for good. He said because it's for a reason. Whenever he got cancer, it, it didn't stop him from telling people about God. Whenever he was in MD Anderson and, and Daddy and Uncle Darrell both told me it, he said the nurses, even he, he was telling them about Jesus. The people that came into the room that worked down there that he never laid eyes on before in their life, they could tell there was something different about him. And he prayed with them, and he talked with them. And we'll never know on this side of heaven how many people he may have influenced because God gave him cancer. We don't give God enough credit. We can't see the whole picture. We can't ever see the whole picture. The way that terrorist cells are organized, and I know I'm taking an extreme look, but the way terrorist cells are organized is you have different cells here and there. And one cell don't know the plans of the other cell. They just have their they just have their duty. And this cell don't know what they're going to do and they don't know what those are going to do. They all have their individual job. But whenever it all comes down to it, there's a grand scheme of things going on. I don't know what God is going to do in in your life compared to my life. I don't know what God's going to do in my life. I don't know what God is going to use the the trials that I may go through for. I haven't a clue in the world. If you've ever seen the movie God is Not Dead, I love the way that, that both the first and the second movie kind of brings characters that are living in their own story all together at the end. 
the two pastors that, that have so much car trouble, they had car trouble for a reason. And they used that. In the second movie, the I ain't going to ruin it for you, but the, the person with the problem, in the end, it, it brought everybody together. Everybody that was living their own story, everybody that was going through their own trial, they couldn't see how their life was helping these other people. They couldn't see it because they couldn't see the whole picture. God asks us to be patient because we can't see the whole picture. We can't grasp everything, what he has going on, and we're, we're never going to be able to. He don't ask us to. He don't tell us at any point in time to understand the grand scheme of things. You won't find that in the Bible. He asks us to be patient. He asks us to trust him. He asks us to have faith in him. He asks us to glorify in trials and tribulations. He asks us to have faith. He didn't ask us to understand. We can't. So whenever it comes to things going awry in our life, we're not supposed to understand it. We're supposed to learn from it. Whenever you hit your hand on a finger with a hammer, you learn not to put your finger back there again. Simple as that. I have a kid, I was teaching small engines today, and, and we slung a rod and blew a hole out the side of a, a little old bitty Briggs and Stratton engine. And I told the kid, I said, don't you stand right there. And then sure enough, he was standing right there. And he pulled and that engine was running, and he didn't have the governor setting that engine. Just, whoa, just run off. And it slung a rod right out the back side of that engine, and it went right between the kid's legs. And it went through a sheet of tin behind him. If it would have hit his leg, it would have probably punctured or maybe even went through his leg to push right. And I told the kid not to stand there. But he learned his lesson. He'll never stand there again. Ever. Even though it was a difficult experience for him. Even though it took him a minute to get his heart rate back under control. Even though he failed the assignment because he didn't set his linkage. He learned a lesson. We may not always like our lessons. We may not always understand our lessons. But God asks us to be patient through them. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 13. We're going to look for just a second at God's patience. God is long-suffering toward usward. And we know this. The Bible says in 1 John 4 and 8 that God is love. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 4, that love is patient. So logically, we can draw lines between the two and we understand that God is patient. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse number 13, says, Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai and spakest for them from heaven and gavest them right judgment and true laws and good statutes and commandments. He said, God, you gave them all that they needed. In verse 14, And made us known unto them thy holy Sabbath and commandeth them the precepts statutes and laws by the hand of Moses thy servant and gave us them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought us forth water out of the rock for their thirst and promised them that they should go in and possess the land which thou hast sworn to give unto them he said God you have given them you have given them everything they need God has given us everything that we need God has given us all the tools to build a life that can serve him if we so choose Verse 16, but they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hearkened not unto that commandment, unto thy commandments. And they refused to obey, neither were they mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them. But they hardened their necks and in their rebellion anointed a captain to return to their bondage. God, you did everything for them. God has done everything for us. You ever find yourself fighting against God sometimes? 
Sometimes we don't even realize it. We don't know it. But God will let us know whenever we're fighting against Him. Whenever He gives us opportunities. Whenever He gives us a, a commandment. Whenever He gives us whenever He gives us a chance to be patient, we choose not to. Whenever we allow our, our temper, our uh, pride, our anger, our spontaneity to get the better of us. Or we simply get to the point of rebellion. I was talking to a woman at school today and she said that she absolutely loves kids. She just wishes they wouldn't get no older than five or six years old. She loves them until they get five or six years old. She said, then they just get rebellious. And I thought it was very interesting that she used that word because rebellion is, is part of human nature. If you tell me not to push a button, what's going to happen? I'm going to push that button every time. Every time. You don't believe it? Set a red button on the ground tell the kid not to push it. Set a piece of candy on the bench tell the kid not to touch it. They're going to catch you not looking. They're going for it. Rebellion is part of, of human nature. But if we allow the Spirit of God to dwell within us, if, if we crucify our flesh, if we submit ourselves to Him, then the Spirit of God can overcome that spirit of rebellion. Verse number 17, But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and forsookest them not. Do we deserve the mercy of God? I heard a man say, and, and I don't remember exactly where it was at, but he said, I pray for America. I really do. But he said, I can't feel sorry for us. He said, I can't do it. He said, because every time Israel turned their back on God, he turned them over. He had to teach them a lesson. He gave them into bondage. He gave them into captivity. He caused them to run from the enemy. Every time they turned their back on him. And over the last 30 years, America has done nothing but turn its back on God as a whole. Christians are now the minority by far and large. But God has not wiped America off the face of the planet because of the minority. Because of the Christians that are faithful to Him. Because of the people that are still lost and unsaved that He has had mercy on. Because... He is a God ready to pardon. He is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger and of great kindness. And He will not forsake us. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Timothy. The book of 1 Timothy in chapter 1. God shows all long-suffering toward us. Paul is writing to Timothy here, telling him a little bit, about himself. Paul of, of all people. Probably did as much. To fight God. As anybody we read about. Jesus even asked him. Saul Saul why. Why persecute us out of me. Why do you kick against the prick. Why are you so blame stubborn. Why are you fighting me. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer, persecutor, and injurious. But I obtained mercy 
from a long-suffering God. I obtain mercy from a God ready to pardon, from a gracious God. I obtain mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. The world, the world is going against God ignorantly in unbelief. Because if they knew the God that we knew, they wouldn't act this way. Amen. If they knew the God that we knew, they wouldn't make laws this way. If they knew the God that we knew, their, their whole life would change. The Bible says that over and over again. But they don't. Paul here said that he was ignorant. Before we were saved, we may have been church people, but we were ignorant. Completely and totally. He said, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly, uh, exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. He obtained mercy through the grace of Jesus Christ. He obtained mercy through the long-suffering of God. God's patience is abundant, more than any of us will ever have. But something that we don't look at a lot, and I, I really hadn't paid an awful lot of attention to it most of my life, at some point in time, I'll tell you like my, my baseball coach told me, that most of y'all probably know Mr. J.T. Thomas. He had a way with words and people. And he got to the point that there was a kid, I was must have been in eighth grade, and there was a senior just acting a fool on the baseball field. And he grabbed a kid by the shirt collar and he brought him into the locker room. And he said, you see this right here? He said, this is my last nerve. He said, you see this right here? This is you jumping on it. At some point in time, we all lose our patience. At some point in time, we all have that last nerve that that person is just jumping up and down on. God's patience has an end. God's patience only goes so far. His long suffering only goes so far. In the Bible, we read of... Uh, I found three very distinctive instances that God's patience ran out. The first is the Tower of Babel. The people wanted to build a tower so that they could get all the way up to heaven. And according to the Bible, they were doing a pretty good job. They were working together. But they were doing it contrary to what God wanted. Amen. So he scattered them. He shut them down. He, 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 he split the languages. Or his angel did. Then we read about Noah. The mind of men was on evil exceedingly. All the time. Kind of like a lot of states that we see right now. Kind of like the majority of Washington, D.C. right now. All people can think about is helping Muslim countries and killing babies. And it's a blooming shame. Amen. Sodom and Gomorrah was given over to sin. In Noah's day, the world was given over to sin. But in both instances, God had mercy on the just. God had mercy on those that, that followed him. God had mercy on the righteous. Noah saved himself and his family. Lot was able to escape with very, very little family. And if it wasn't for the New Testament writing that said that Lot had a righteous soul, we would never know. Because that man got to living in a way and, and was given over to, to sodomy in a way that we would never know. 
And God's patience ran out with Sodom and Gomorrah. God's patience ran out with the world in Noah's day. God's patience ran out with the people at the Tower of Babel. God's patience has an end. God is long-suffering more than we can imagine. But God will only let it go so far before He puts a stop to it, before He puts an end to it. Flip over, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Book of Ephesians in chapter 4. God not only tells us to have the mind in us that was in Christ Jesus, but He also commands us in multiple occasions to be patient. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1, I therefore... The prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. He said, I beseech you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. If we are saved, we are called. If you are a saved child of God, you are called. You are special. You're no longer of this world. If you've ever watched MASH and it's funny, it's, it's kind of crude sometimes, but I watched it some as a kid. They, they joke back and forth about being in their uniform and being in their civvies. It's the only time I've ever heard that word. They're civilian uniforms, like civilian clothes. And whenever in their, they're in their civvies, they're in their civilian clothes, you don't know that they're an army person. But whenever they're in their army clothes, they have to stand in attention. They have to conduct themselves in a certain way. Whenever my kids get an FFA jacket, at that point, they're no longer representing themselves. They're representing a national organization. They're representing their school, their state, their ag teacher. It's no longer about themselves. Whenever we become a saved child of God, we're no longer only representing ourselves. We have been called. We have been bought with a price. We have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, and we represent him. We represent God. Paul said to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. With. Here we go. All lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and love. Now that second word in that verse says, with all. Our patience ought not run out. Because we'll never be as patient as God wants us to be. We'll never be as lowly as God needs us to be. <coughs> forbearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. In the bond of peace. Whenever me and Emily was getting married, everybody tried to give you new uh, new couples advice, new married people advice. And so the, the two most common phrases that we heard, how's married life? find myself saying that every now and then. And then the second is, can I give you some advice? A lot of people said that, and a lot of people said be patient. Another word for that is compromise. Heard that one a time or two. Without patience, a relationship isn't going to work. If she's not patient with me, she's not going to be able to put up with me. If I'm not patient with her, I can't put up with her. The same thing goes in the church. If we can't be patient with one another, if we can't allow each other to make mistakes, if we can't lift each other up in love, then we're not going to be in the spirit of unity that God calls us to be. The book of Acts uses the, the, the words of to be of one accord several times. And as a church, that's what we're supposed to be, of one accord. And that is impossible without long-suffering. That is impossible without patience. Verse number four says, There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your calling. We are one body in Christ. 
Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Peter in chapter 3, and we're going to close. Book of 2 Peter in chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse number 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Not willing, here we go, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. At what point in time should we stop witnessing to other people? Being patient with somebody because they messed up is one thing. But being patient with somebody as a witness is a totally different concept. How many times do they have to say, no, I don't want to hear about Jesus before we start asking, before we stop asking, excuse me. How many times do they have to ignore us and walk away before we stop being kind to them? How many times do people have to rub their noses up at us or say something ugly to us before we stop inviting them to church? How many times do people have to be mean to us before we stop loving them? If you can put a number on that, we need to work on our patience. I would hope that I couldn't put a number on it, but I feel like that my old human nature is going to take hold and at some point it's just going to be hard. Because it is. At that point it becomes a tribulation. And we are to what in tribulation? We are to glory in tribulation. We are to be excited whenever God gives us an opportunity to be patient. Whenever God gives us an opportunity to show someone love. And so whenever we're Whenever we're trying to be a witness, trying to be a help, trying to trying to love someone, I urge you to remember this verse. That the Lord is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If we lose our patience with someone, trying to invite them to church, trying to be a blessing to them, if we lose our patience with them, then we're saying that they're not worth saving then we're saying that it's not worth it for them to come to repentance. And we become the problem instead of the solution. The Bible urges long-suffering just as God was long-suffering with each and every one of us. And this week, I hope that you can, that you can work with me as I try to be a little bit more long-suffering in my everyday life and that each of us can try to be a little bit more patient with each other, with society. And remember that that God was first long-suffering with us. Well, we have a verse for some.